Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of The Book of Sean. <laughs> I got excited saying my own name. Thank you for tuning in tonight. It's going to be a great show, okay? It's going to be an emotional one too, because my dear sister Tony's on, and she has a journey. I mean, a journey and a story about her sister, about losing her sister, and what that has done to her, how it has affected her life, because when you love somebody, right, because the love is real, the grief will be real as well, right? And that's how you know it was real. Because the love is so powerful that it produces grief that is equally powerful. And she has been grieving. She's been dealing with it, going through it. And, and, and if, if I got the story right, I think fighting on a bunch of levels, right? And I want to really just encourage her tonight and to hopefully, hopefully tonight, give her some... I should say today, give her some, some, some power, some vigor, um, and some inspiration, right, to keep going, to keep climbing mountains and turning corners, because I believe that her sister would want that for her. Yeah, it's going it's to it's, it's be one of those conversations. It's, it's going to be great. Wait till you meet her. Wait till you hear her heart and uh, listen to her soul. Uh, we're going to do some soul work tonight, I'm telling you, because grief is one of those subjects that I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you're going to pass through it, huh? Just keep on living. You're going to have to deal with it yourself, with your 19-year-old self. <laughs> but I love you. Anyway, we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean, and we're going to do some headlines, because I always do headlines, a lot going on in the world, people, and so highly, play the bumper, man. So... There's no way I could begin this show and not talk about Donald Trump. I hope my guest is not a Donald Trump supporter, but even if she is, she says no. She shook her head. Thank you. I, I, that makes me happy because I'm I about to say I, I'm about to offend you. <laughs> I'm about to hurt your feelings. But she's not. So great. Let's talk about it, people. We all heard that Donald Trump's house got raided in Florida by the FBI because he allegedly, allegedly took some documents from the White House, which is against the law. Okay. There is something called the Presidential Historical Records Preservation Act. And it says that uh, presidents nor their staff can just willingly take documents out of the White House. You have to preserve those documents. In fact, when, you be, when you're elected president, part of the training, the briefing that you get while you're president-elect is don't throw nothing away and don't take nothing out of that White House because you can go to jail for that. But Donald Trump thought that the rules didn't apply to him because he don't think no rules apply to him because he's a straight rich white man. And in America, rules have not applied to straight rich white men for very often or for very long. But maybe that's changing. And do you see the smile emerging on my face? <laughs> oh my God. Donald, see, never before, never before has a former president had his or 
historically, his home rated. But never before has an American president needed to have their home rated, right? It's never happened before because it, needed, it never needed to happen. Most, most, American, most former presidents of this country are not dumb enough just to take documents because they, they understand the law. They understand that if you get caught doing that, it could be some serious repercussions. But this one, you know, and all I got to say is this, it's about time somebody raided Donald Trump's home, okay? It's about time somebody decided to hold this man accountable. I don't know why it's taking this long to hold the man accountable. And of course, Donald Trump wanted to play victim like he called this Watergate in reverse. Except the only problem with that analogy is, Mr. Trump, the FBI had a search warrant. They weren't breaking in stealing. They legally went into your house and legally looked around to legally search for the things that you took illegally. You see how I did that? <laughs> Mr. Trump, you're not a victim, sir. You're a volunteer. When you, when you allegedly took those documents out of the White House, you, uh, you, you put yourself in a position to be, to be raided by the FBI. And it wasn't a raid, by the way. It was a search. They searched your home. The way they would search anybody's home who broke the law and took some documents. Either we are a nation of laws or we are not, okay? Either we are a nation of laws or we are not. You know, my mama used to say, God don't like ugly. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Tony with me. My, my, my mom used to say, God don't like ugly. And you reap what you sow. If, if, if you put out there, if you put foolishness and evil and mendacity out there, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get a knock on the door from the FBI and they're coming to search your house. See, beloved, a lot of people talking right now in the media, CNN, I've been watching this, you know, all day about Trump supporters and how upset they're going to be. But let me say this right now. And you heard it here first. If Trump's lackeys are going to be all upset and they become all violent and they start breaking the law because he's being held accountable, then guess what? They should go to jail, too. Put them in jail, too. You cannot be afraid of how somebody's going to react to doing the right thing to decide if you should do the right thing. You can't let fear determine if you should follow your principles. So if Trump broke the law, he should go to jail. And if his lackey supporters want to break the law because they're mad about it, then they should go to jail, too. And it's not a political arrest. It is equal protection under law. One of the penalties for breaking this law, by the way, is that you don't get to run for office again. And it could be that Donald Trump has sealed his own fate. So presidential Historical Records Preservation Act says that you can't take documents from the White House, and that's exactly what Donald Trump did. So y'all tell me what should happen to him, okay? Because I already know. Let's move on. Let's talk about Brittany Griner. So Brittany Griner's trial in Russia is finally over, and the American basketball player was sentenced to nine years in prison for her so-called drug possession. But the good news is that now that the trial is over, perhaps some serious negotiations can begin. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken formally proposed to the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov that both governments should consider a prisoner swap. And I've been hearing a lot of black people mad at Joe Biden that he didn't do more to get Brittany Griner out of prison. And a lot of people, black people, particularly on social media, saying he should have done this, he should have done that. But I'm not, quite, I'm not entirely sure what you all think he should have done, okay? 
It's not like Joe Biden could just press a button and make the Russian president release her. That ain't how it works. <laughs> That's not how the world works, people. That's how we wish the world would work. So I affirm the desire. I'm not saying the desire for her to get out quickly and to get out right away and for the president to be able to press a button and it works. That's the right desire. But that ain't that ain't that ain't how it goes. There's nothing Joe Biden could have done to get to get her out quicker because the person on the other side of the equation ain't willing to do anything quicker. He can't make Putin do anything. Right. He can't. They they don't even have a good relationship. Now, ironically, I can't believe I'm about to say this. You ready? I can't believe I'm about to say this. Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to say. Ironically, Donald Trump probably would, would have had more success getting Brittany Griner out. Because him and Putin have a relationship. <laughs> they have a relationship. Let me, but let me say this. We have to stop living in the fantasy where we think that the right thing happens all the time. And the right thing happens all the time because it's the right thing. I wish I lived in a world like that where the right thing happens all the time. But that's not the world that we live in. And, and we don't live in the world where only what you want to see is the thing that shows up. Sometimes bad things happen, and sometimes what you don't want to have anything to do with, that's what shows up. And unlike a lot of people, you listening over here, this is going press you. Unlike a lot of people, I actually have experience in hostage negotiation. Listen to this, Tony. I'm about to bless you. Because I went to the Gambia with a delegation led by Jesse Jackson to negotiate for the release of three prisoners held by President Jamey, who was the president of the Gambia at the time. So I flew to Africa, landed in Senegal, then, then we went over to the Gambia, and I was in hostage negotiation trying to get three Africans that were American citizens out of, out of jail. And President Jamey was a stone-cold killer. I spent half the time praying that he wouldn't throw me in jail. The only reason he didn't throw me in jail because he liked my shoes. <laughs> we had on the same shoes. He had on a white pair, I had on a black pair. He was like, very good taste you have in your shoes. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank God the man likes my shoes. But we couldn't make him. And in fact, we were there to negotiate to get three people out, and he only let two go. One of them he was keeping. He let two go. Uh, President Barack Obama, the Obama administration supported what we were doing, but they had no power to make anything happen. Nothing. They couldn't do anything. Only the people on the ground could have. We begged, we pleaded, we negotiated. Did all, and, and, and again, eventually he only let two of them go. I'm just trying to tell you, beloved, righteousness must always be in conversation with reality. And when those two things are not talking to each other, that's how they both end up in trouble. Righteousness loses its mind and become ideologically nuts if they're not talking. And being real and relevant loses its mind if it's not guided by higher principles. Righteousness must be in conversation with that which is realistic. So the two of them can build the kind of world that our children deserve. So y'all stop blaming Joe Biden for every damn thing going on in the world. I told y'all last week, he ain't stop blaming him for gas prices. Gas companies making $55 billion in the second quarter alone, and you blaming Joe Biden. Go be mad at the gas company. You mad at Joe Biden because Brittany Griner is in jail? Shouldn't you be mad at Vladimir Putin? All right. <laughs> I'm just getting started, Tony. I'm about to come to you, sister. Just stay with me, okay? All right. Let's do one more, at least one more. I'm going to try to squeeze two in. All right, so uh, 
shout out to the Justice Department because we learned that uh, four police, four former Louisville, Kentucky police officers are now facing federal charges uh, in connection to the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor. Two officers are now charged with falsifying information on a search warrant and violating Breonna Taylor's Fourth Amendment rights. It is alleged by the Attorney General that Officer Kelly Goodlett and Officer Joshua Janus, or Janus met in a, listen to this, met in a garage after the killing and conspired to lie to investigators about the circumstances that led to Breonna Taylor's death. Did you hear that? I didn't even know that. Another of the officers, uh, Brett Hankinson, is charged with willfully uh, using unconstitutional force after he fired 10 shots into Breonna Taylor's patio door during the raid. And just because they are charged doesn't mean they're going to get convicted. We already know that, right? We know that, right? But at least, at least, at least something's being done to sort of right the wrong that was created in the state courts. I mentioned before that these officers were tried at the state level and they were all acquitted of the charges. And the one and, 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 and only one, first of all, only one of them was actually indicted or charged for something. And he was only indicted and charged for shooting a wall, not a woman. You heard me. They indicted him for reckless endangerment, for shooting a wall, but not killing a woman. The bones of Breonna Taylor cry out from the grave, and they're not crying out for vengeance. They're crying out for justice because she deserves it. She should not be dead. She deserves to be alive. So I'll end with this. Merrick Garland has not been my favorite, my most favorite attorney general in, in the history of the country. But after raiding Donald Trump's house and bringing these charges against these officers, I'm starting to change my mind about Merrick Garland. And here's the wisdom, because I always give you wisdom, because that's what I do. Keep an open mind about people. Even people that you think aren't doing much, they might be doing more than you can see. Keep an open mind about people and let people create their own legacy by what they do. Because you might discover that somebody who you just sort of think is milling and dithering and doing nothing is actually behind the scenes doing great things that are going to bless you. Here's my last story for the night. Bruce Springsteen is going back on tour. Now, I, look, I know, as soon as I said Bruce Springsteen, all black people roll their eyes. I'm going somewhere, okay? I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen is going back on tour. And, uh, well, shout out to him for doing that. And uh, the interesting thing about this is that tickets were in, on sale in July and uh, for one of his first show in six years back in the country. And one of his fans, Susan Avery, went online to purchase um, one of the tickets because she wanted to see Bruce, the boss, right? And she made it to the Ticketmaster queue. Um, but the only tickets she could get were in the nosebleed section. So she went back into the queue to see if she could find some, some you know, better seats, put those tickets in her cart. And as the tickets were in her cart and she's looking for more tickets, the tickets in the cart kept going up. You get what I'm saying? She bought the tickets at one price, and while she's looking for more tickets, the tickets, she didn't buy them, but the tickets she held in the cart, the price kept going up so much so that she ended up paying $800 for the tickets. That's a lot of money to see Bruce Springsteen, okay? I'm just, I don't, I'm born in the U.S. Isn't that his song? He don't know Bruce Springsteen. It's all right. All right. 
Here's the point I made. And I saw this story in the New York Times. And in the New York Times, it said that some of Bruce Springsteen's fans had to pay $5,000 for a ticket. Tony, did you hear what I just said? $5,000? And that's why I wanted to bring this story before I take this break and talk to my sister. Let me ask you a question. No, let me not, before I ask a question, let me just say it. I can't think of no damn body <laughs> that I want to see in concert enough to pay $5,000. Do you know what would have to come along with that concert for me to pay $5,000? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, would you pay? Okay, what artists out there? This is a question for all of you, because you know we just talking. What artists out there would you pay five thousand dollars to go see? Put it in the chat, people, because I want to. I, I want to hear. Uh, what about thousand dollars? Would you pay a thousand dollars to go see somebody? Would you pay a thousand dollars? You would for who? Don't choke. Uh, oh, of who? Like a whole lineup? No, 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 no. Mm-mm. No. Anyway, here's why I'm doing this story. I got to end, but let me say this. Always remember that the value of something isn't, isn't how much it costs. The value of something is how much people are willing to pay for it. So you remember that the next time you sell yourself cheap and you allow people to pay for you, to acquire you, to have your time, and they're not willing to pay premiums amount to be in your company. Let's try it again. The value of something is only determined by what people are willing to pay for. And if you are giving the best of you to people who are playing you cheap, that ain't their fault. That's yours. So in the future, just think about Bruce Springsteen and level up. We'll be right back with my sister, Tony. Grief right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Everybody under 30 were Googling Bruce Springsteen. I know. <laughs> This one over here, he says he knows who's, who Bruce Springsteen is, but he doesn't know any of his music. That's half the battle. He should know who the man is. That's good. Anyway, let's, uh, let, let's, let's segue, okay, because um, the conversation we're going to have right now is a conversation that I think all of us can learn from. And we're all going to, at some point, need to have a reference to what, I'm, what we're about to talk about tonight with my guest, my guest and I. Um, or we've already had this moment, right? Uh, my mom died. Uh, my mentor died, um, and so I know grief. I know prof- In fact, my mom and my mentor died two weeks apart, two of the most impactful people in my life, two weeks apart. And so I know grief. I, I know what it is to travel that way. My dear, dear, dear sister uh, is here tonight to talk about the grief with respect to her sister. Uh, welcome to the show tonight, Tony Fernandez. Hey, Tony. Dr. Sean, for having me. Love all your shows I watched. I think every last one of them. Have so, you? Yeah, so definitely, um, you definitely have substance where I feel it helps a lot of people when they're on your show as well as after they leave it. So a lot of the episodes you have, I've been through those things that some of your guests have been through. So it helped me a little in those areas. And so today I'm hoping to get the help um, in regards to my sister. Okay, I love you already, just so you know. <laughs> Tony, you had me at hello. You had me at hello. I was putty in your hands. I tried. I tried. 
So listen, I, and I'm glad we're laughing a little, right? Because this is, uh, you know, this is this is serious stuff. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that we can approach it from from a place where there is still some joy. Um, mm-hmm. So so let's let's get into it, and let me ask you a very simple question: um, What did your sister mean to you? Man, I hope I don't cry. Um, everything. So um, six and a half years ago, she passed away to cancer. Um, but we did everything together. She was a singer, a writer, a poet, a licensed co- um, cosmetologist. Um, we bounced ideas off of each other with music, with life in general. She was like my mom instead of my sister. So if I was going through something, she would talk to me as if I was her daughter versus as if she was my sister. So it's that support system you have with a sibling that is just, once that's gone physically, it's just, you become so empty and so dark. So she just was my world. Oh, God, you're going to make me cry. Mm. No, no, and let, let, let that come up. Don't let that come up. That's where the freedom comes. That's where, that's where we think when we're not emotional that we're doing well. When, when the truth is we need to be emotional. And, and, and you need to let yourself, you're big enough, strong enough to handle some tears, right? Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. No, no, no. no let, let it happen. Don't, don't try to talk right now. I know, you, I know you're here to talk, but I also want you to feel because a, a part of this, part of what I want to do with you tonight is to bring you where you are not intimidated by the feelings, okay? So if you, if you feel the need to cry, you're, you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place. Who, somebody who knows loss like you do. All right. So, so, so let me ask you, I want, to, I want to stay with your sister for a second. Um, tell me, who... What, what was your sister like before she was sick? And then what was she like when the sickness took control? So um, just a brief um, backstory on her. So before she had cancer, um, she, she had some um, dark moments where she was um, diagnosed with bipolar. So um, think about it when you're a child, you go through childhood trauma. Then she had a kid in her as a young teenager. So then you become a parent. So you go through um, being a parent trauma. And then you go through everyone kind of trying to tell you, you know, a little of how to raise your kids. So you're going through that trauma and you kind of feel like you're not, you don't feel like you're doing your best. Right. So as her being a young mother, she just, never felt she was good enough, you know? Mm. And, and so way before she um, got cancer, she was happy-go-lucky. Um, still, even though she had children, she was still trying to work, live her life and so forth. But she would be like, Tony, sometimes I would always say, you're too sensitive. You, you get mad over the littlest thing. And she would say, but I'm not you. Um, things you may get over quickly of, I don't. And that's when I started saying, wait a minute, Mike, something I'm thinking that is really, really small, like say you left the door open. That's that's not going to bother me, but that may bother her. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. So she was trying to explain to me, like, we're different. Like, I didn't understand bipolar. I, did, I had no clue what it meant until 
we went through those years of her being in her dark moments and then her finally finding her purpose to say, I know what my purpose is and I'm gonna going to not go back to that point, right? So she did get herself together. She began to know her purpose, but so she she started to really get into her music, really focus on that because she was a writer and music was her life yeah. besides children. And so once she... I felt like once she was doing better, it seemed like sometimes people would try to pull her right back to that dark side. So after years of her doing amazing, boom, she found a lump in her breast. Mm. And so she went to get checked. And it's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's just a milk dud. Dr. Sean, it was cancer. Mm. So she went a whole year or two without thinking she had cancer. They just told her it was a milk dud. So she's like, feel this. This is, it hurts now, Tony. And I'm like, you got to go to the hospital. You should get that check. And she's stubborn. Well, both Jim and I, so she's stubborn, more stubborn than I was. And she's like, I'm not worried about it because she was already going through so much at that time. Um, stress is a killer. I'm just going to put that out there. Mm. And um, so she went back to the hospital. Sure enough, it was cancer, but it was still in the early stage. Mm. Mm. And so went through that whole time of her still being positive. Um, every time we went to the doctor, Dr. Sean, it was something new. So then finally we met someone that um, my sister was tired of doing chemo. And I was so angry with her because I didn't know any better. I'm like, they're telling you this is going to heal you. So you, you should take it. And she's like, Tony, no, it's killing me. I'm going to do this instead. And so she started doing alternative medicine and her tumors began to disappear. Mm -hmm. So I said to her, do not tell your doctor that you're doing alternative me medicine because sometimes they don't want to hear that. Dr. Sean, she told them. What happened after that? They wouldn't let her do any clinical trials. They wouldn't let her, they kind of be like, oh, um, a scan, well, we'll, they didn't scan her. And all of a sudden it went to her brain. Then it went to her liver. Then it went here. And it's it's weird because she would always say to me, like I would have dreams and she would kind of ask me, like, did you have any dreams about me lately? So I would try, all my dreams about her would be good until one time I had a dream um, about Jesus, right? So I, we were at our childhood home and I, we were in one of the living rooms. So we had two living rooms. So we're in one of them. She's happy. She looks beautiful. Then all of a sudden I end up in the kitchen and I look in the living room. I'm like, wait a minute, that's Jesus. And Jesus is standing there with like a Middle Eastern guy. And all of a sudden it's like a movie. The room just closes and I'm in, now I'm in the living room with Jesus and the guy. So the guys on the Middle Eastern guys on the right side of me and I'm on the left side. Jesus grabs the uh, Middle Eastern guy's hand and he's like, everything's going to be okay. So in a dream, I'm all happy, like, okay, he's going to give me good news. And this mm -hmm, grabs mm -hmm. him in, he holds it for a while. And it's like, I could feel him. And he said, pray for me. And I did not understand what he meant. What did he mean? I'm going to, okay. So I took it. What he meant is that I'm praying so hard for my sister to live, right? Hmm. But she's also praying to take this away from. So he's going to answer her prayer mm. over. 
So it was meant for me to be selfless instead of selfish, but I didn't understand that until yeah, she passed. Yeah, no, no, I, listen, listen. I, it, that, I, I, I have a deacon friend of mine who often says, we pray for God to deliver people who are sick. And then when they pass away, we don't realize that sometimes that is deliverance and that they were praying their own prayers and that their prayers have precedent over sometimes over the ones that we pray for them. So, so let me ask you this, because I, 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 you, you tell the story, I think, with, with amazing um, dexterity. So as your sister's going through cancer, real quick before we take this break, what were you going through? Fighting for her to live in every possible way. Emotionally, what were you going through? What were you feeling most days? Well, I, I work my day job, so I would have to switch off um, from work to go to the hospital. I was drained, Dr. Sean. Mm. I was absolutely drained from, not just from her being sick, but from what how I seen people treat her. With her dying, they killed me. Mm. Listen, listen, hold that thought, okay? Hold that thought uh, because I think I want to pick up on that when we get back. Because um, it's not just the person who is suffering, right? It's also the people who are taking care of them who are also suffering. Um, you can tell already that Tony has a great love for her sister and that it continues. And I know everybody watching tonight, no matter who we've lost, we continue to love the people that we've lost. Love doesn't stop at the grave, right? It just keeps right on going. There's more to this story. Uh, and as we come back, I also want to begin to sort of, sort of move Tony so that she can start to see herself on the other side of what she's been through. We got some work to do, but this work is worth it, okay? We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to my sister, Tony, about her journey uh, with grief. Um, you know, you know what's, in, what's interesting, before we took our break, you mentioned to me, Tony, um, just how um, people, some people who don't understand, they start to treat you differently when they don't really get either your mental health situation or they don't understand the disease you're dealing with. In your sister's case, she had both of those sort of misconceptions she was working with. Um, do you think that people, and, and don't get specific, okay, because we don't want to get sued, but, but generally speaking, <laughs> do you think the people in her life, who, whoever they were, do you think that any of them really understood how hard it was for her? I mean, some of the people um, that were around her and um, living with her, I believe so, but I think people that weren't, um, you know, for whatever reason, they they didn't get it. They didn't understand. Like it took me years to understand. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. But I had to. There's a such thing as if someone's going through something like that, you don't give up on them. It, it doesn't matter. You're of course they're gonna be angry. They're gonna be mad. They have different mood swings. They say things sometimes that things they don't mean but you have to look at what they're going through, what they're mm. facing to be able to say, okay, it's not about me. I'm going to do everything I can to be there for you. Yeah. 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 It, when someone is, is going through what she went through, the last thing you want to do is that person to feel like no one loved them. And that's how my sister would be like, Tony, I know you say you love me. I know it. But I don't feel like I'm loved. But I always felt that 
yes, I was always there for her, but the people she wanted there for her are the people who did her the worst. And that's who she, at the end, was calling out for. And mm. they, I, I felt like I couldn't give her her final wishes because, again, like, if someone doesn't want to be there, you can't force them to be there. But to see the pain and the heartbreak she went through um, on the, at the end of her life, Dr. Sean, no one should ever have to go through that yeah. and die and die feeling like nobody loved you. Mm. That is what haunts me. I have nightmares about it. I'm always having the dream of first, I thought I was healing because all my dreams of her would be happy-go-lucky. It would be like Tony and my sister all over again. But then every dream I have is me trying to find a cure to kill her, to cure her cancer. Mm. And so she doesn't die. And it's a repetitive dream and maybe a different dream, but it's the always end result is I have to find a cure for her cancer. And it's because I feel like I failed her, that I, I wasn't able, I didn't do, I felt like everything everybody was telling me to do is, so a quick um, thing, our, our family, uh, my mother's family comes from an island called Cape Verde. So my sister had um, a bunch of friends that was Cape Verdean as well. And the lady, her friend's mother told me that I had to go to church to save my sister so she wouldn't die. I had to get saved in order for my sister to live. And I did all those things, Dr. Sean. I did everything people told me, be there. And, and she still died. And it's just like, People tell me to get over it. She's dead. And it's just, I I do things to try to get over it. I keep myself busy. And I'm sure your producer told you I'm a filmmaker and stuff. And I do all that stuff. And Jesus, like, it's just one thing can push me all the way back. Yeah. And that, like, gee, why? I, I just, I just... I don't know. I did everything I was asked to do and more. And now that she's gone, I have to deal with me always being offended if someone says something negative about her. So that's what I'm trying to get over. It's just, it's one of those things where um, a quick story, like this guy, like you said, you lost your mom and your mentor. This guy I know that knew my sister he said, before she died, I always did film. When she died, I stopped. And he said, Tony, you used to have the juice. You can't stay depressed. I lost so many people on the street. I used to be like you, depressed, not wanting to get out of bed. And then I just, I really wanted to physically fight him when he said that. But when I went home. Tell me why. I, hold on, hold on. Tell, tell me why. Because I knew he was telling the truth. Mm. I lost myself. So when I went home and I went to bed, I was so depressed. Here comes my sister in my dream. Mm. And she says, Tony, I miss you being pretty. I miss you dressing. I miss all these things about you. And it's just like, okay, so he tells me this. And then she comes to me in a dream and says that. And then I guess a week later, I say, I still got the juice. So I decided to turn my pain into purpose by, I wrote this um, series, like six years of episodes dedicated. Not, it's not all about my sister, but it's in memory of her. It's what 
made me write Still Got the Juice. And it actually won a ton of awards, screenwriting awards. And then... But, but, you, know, but you know what, Tony? Hold, hold on a second. Before, before you go there, let me say this to you. My, my experience of you tonight is that you're still living with grief in a very serious way. And that, and that you are, if, so what, what I haven't done tonight, and I'm going, I'm going to go over a little bit, so y'all just follow me. Um, but what I haven't done tonight, there are certain things I could have said to you tonight, certain places I could have pushed, and they would have led you down a very emotional road. Because in a lot of ways, I experienced you as still living with a very profound sense of grief. And you are, and, and, and you are, now what, what's that? What, what are you feeling right now? What's that? What's that? Because I'm like people hate her and they just never gave her a chance. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Don't have, you don't have to be sorry. You don't have to be sorry. I feel like they hold so much anger towards her and she couldn't help it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but Tony, Tony, neither could you. Neither could you. And the same. <laughs> Her, never left her. I never turned my back on her. Never. The same mercy and grace that you have for her, you're also going to have to have for you. Because you did the best that you knew how to do in that moment at that time. And I, I, just, I just want you to know tonight that I haven't heard anything from you. I don't know the whole story, but I haven't heard anything from you that would make me think that you are an adequate sister or that you are a bad sister. Well, people told me when she died, I'm just the sister. Yeah. And it's just like, they just, I'm just like, how can you say that with the sacrifices I made throughout over the years to like, and I'm not a victim by any means. I'm just sharing how I feel about my sister. And it's just like, I just feel like she was, she just had some battles that she couldn't get through. Yeah. And, and I feel like nobody looks at the goods. Not everybody. Let me take that back. I feel like sometimes people with anybody, they just hold what I, they just hold on to the negative stuff. And me, I grew so much Dr. Sean. Tony, 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 I, I got to cut you off because I got to go. But, but let me say okay. this. I want you to apply that same principle to yourself. I want you to apply that same principle to yourself. People look at the negative, you said, right? And they miss the positive. And I think going forward, you need to apply that to your relationship and all that you tried to do for your sister. See, I want you to get to the place when, when you think about your sister, sure, you cry, but you feel more joy and more gratitude than you feel any of the consternation of other people being directed at her memory or her life. Because, I'm going to say it again, you did what you knew how to do, and you did the best that you, knew, that, that you could give her. And I want you to get to the place where that is sufficient, that is enough. And I want you to get to the place where you have absolute surrender and absolute acceptance with the will of the Creator for you and for her. You follow me? Because, because I'm, here's where I'm going to leave it. Everything born of a woman will die. Everything. Every one of us. We all have to pass through it. None of us get to avoid it. And what, and, what, and what that means is this. When we're in the presence of death, what we have to get to is acceptance because we don't have the power to stop the inevitable. But what we can do 
is do exactly what you just said. Instead of focusing on what people said that were negative and the struggles that she may have had, find your way to the joy. Find your way to the things about her and your relationship with her that make you glad that the two of you are connected. Listen, I, I, I got to go because they're going to start yelling at me <laughs> to take this break. Thank you for coming on, okay? I really believe in you. You hear me? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be all right. Listen, everybody, when we come back, I'm going to say a little more about this. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean right after this. Listen, you know, grief is a very serious situation. It is a journey and not a moment. And for all of you tonight who are dealing with it, as my sister was, Tony was, uh, make sure that you get uh, professional support, that you talk to, to a professional who can help you process what you're feeling so that you don't have to fight your way back to life and to joy by yourself. We all deserve support, and if you are grieving tonight, dealing with depression or despair, make sure you love yourself enough to let someone walk with you. They can't fix what you feel, okay? They can't make the feeling go away, but they can help you have a new relationship with the memory, with the loss, and with yourself. All right. All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper, Hailey. We do a little segment around here called Ask Dr. Sean. I'm Dr. Sean. <laughs> and you guys always send me great videos. And I love you for that. I don't know why I'm doing this old Texas impersonation thing right now. I just slipped out of it. But I like it. So let's watch a video together. See what happens. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Valerie. I'm, I'm from Compton. City of Compton. I am a stand-up comedian. Um, but I kind of fell off a while. I, I wanted to, you know, like get back on stage, but my confidence is shot. It's just, do you have any advice for me, Dr. Sean, please? First of all, I love your energy, right? Studio, come to it. I mean, you got a, you got great energy. Uh, so you got, you, you got something there. Um, here's my advice. Cause I think this is a great question for people who have experienced experiences plural where you lose your confidence for whatever reason start small start very small start you know telling jokes and doing what you do in front of small audiences don't try to go for the big audience now, I, it would it would be helpful if i knew a little more about why you lost your confidence but whatever the reasons are start small and then build your way back to where you want to be and hopefully you can build your way back to something bigger and better you follow me but don't run to the you know to the comedy club you know start with your family and your friends just say hey come on over i want to tell some jokes you know wouldn't that be great come on over and tell some jokes have some food and i'm telling jokes tonight start there and get to see how people respond to you and you get to feel those juices flowing again and you begin to realize you know what this is what i'm born to do and that's the other part of my answer is that whenever you lose your confidence you have to remember that What's inside of you is greater than anything outside of you trying to stop you from becoming it. You have to remember what you were born to do. The way you get your confidence back is to decide emphatically, unequivocally, indelibly that I owe it to myself. I owe it to myself to allow myself the expression and the space that I need to do that which I was sent here to do. You don't want to get to the end of your life and have a bunch of shoulda, coulda, wouldas and re regrets and, and all of that. 
I'm going to get to your life. Even if you fail, you can tell the world at least that you tried. And so I would say to you, start small. Start with people who will affirm you, who love you, who will laugh, not at you, but with you and applaud for your effort. Applaud your effort rather than celebrate your capacity and your willingness to get back out there. And then you have to be reminded of who you are. Because when you know who you are, even when you run into trouble, you square your shoulders and you dust yourself off and you take your feet again and you tell all that wants to kill you, I'm still here. <laughs> Woo! Let's take a break, okay? I need to recover after that. When we go back, I'm going to do some more Ask Dr. Sean. I got a question. Uh, that's correct. But let me read this question, then I'm answering the other side. Here's what someone DM'd me. My husband and I have been married for a year. This is my second marriage, and I wanted to wait until after our wedding to have sex. I regret my decision because my husband is horrible in bed. How do I tell him that I'm not being satisfied sexually without hurting his feelings? Now, you know you want to come back for my answer for that. We're right back, people. <laughs> All right, let's go back to this question. Someone DM'd me this. My husband and I have been married for a year. This is my second marriage, and I wanted to wait until after our wedding to have sex. I regret my decision because my husband is horrible in bed. How do I tell him that I'm not being satisfied sexually without hurting his feelings? All right. Let's deal with this in parts, okay? Because the first part of this, all the saved and sanctified people who are watching this show right now who believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit because it's a mighty burning fire, and then holiness is real. Y'all gonna hate that first part of this. <laughs> so just, just buckle up and ride with me. Because this is a classic example of why I don't necessarily believe it's always good to wait for marriage to have sex. Okay? Because you end up being with somebody who don't know what they're doing. And you could have taught them. <laughs> you could have gave them instruction on what to do. At the very least, you would have known what you were signing up for. So I don't always believe that it's always the best thing to sort of let someone into your intimate, sacred, secret place of your body at the moment of marriage. <laughs> I, think, I think sometimes it's a better idea for you guys to test run. You know what I'm saying? Know what you're getting yourself into so you can, you can more fully say yes. Because here's my question for you. If you had known that your husband was not good in bed, would you have said yes to marrying him? That's my question for you. And in a lot of ways, you marry somebody without all the information you needed to make that decision or to make an adequate decision about marrying them. Sex is an important part of any relationship. It really is. I don't care how much we try to diminish it. It's an important part of any relationship. Now, it shouldn't be the most important part or the only important part, but it's important. But you asked me how you should tell your husband that he's not good in bed. And I rushed over to why you should not have waited to have sex with him. And I still think that, by the way. But let me get to your question, because your question is important. And your question matters, because you matter. I think the way you tell your husband that you're having challenges in the bedroom is with great sensitivity. Because men are very, you, would you agree with this? Men are very sensitive about our egos with respect to sex, yes? Oh, yeah. You, you're not? Yes, you are. <laughs> we all are. We, we don't want to hear that we're not good in bed, okay? You can almost tell us anything else. 
You could tell us our arms are on fire. You could tell us <laughs> you could you could tell us our eyes have fallen out of our head. We could handle that a whole lot better than you saying that that we uh, we're not, men don't want to hear that. But that's part of how men are socialized. A man should not be intimidated to hear that he can make improvements on his sex life. Especially if a man, and the case, with the cases of most men, nobody ever gives us any real tutorials. We just have to, we learn by, we learn by watching porn. Or we learn by, you know, and you, you might get a partner somewhere along the way, a woman or, or, or a man, if you are a man, uh, who will give you instruction on what to do, how to do it better. But that's, that doesn't happen very often. So most men come to sex, you know, and because we're socialized the way that we do, you can't, we, we, we can't hear constructive criticism. <laughs> so here's what you need to do. You need to be very sensitive and very gentle and start to suggest ways uh, by which your sex life might be better. Instead of passively being a part of the experience, why don't you actively start to give, for lack of a better term, instruction? Why, why, don't, why don't in the moment you claim some of your power some of your sexual energy and instead of faking it right invite your husband to do more of what you like and give instruction on how you like it how about you guys watch you know a show or a video or a podcast about having uh, improving your sex life just say you know let's watch this together and then and then maybe from that you can start to have a conversation you follow what I'm saying? But just randomly sort of saying to the guy, you know what, you're terrible in bed. <laughs> I haven't had an orgasm since you showed up. That's going to devastate him and it's probably going to start to be the beginning of the end of your marriage. But number one, don't be passive in the moment. Tell someone what you need and how you like it. Right? And say, hey, come on now. <laughs> this is what mama like. <laughs> and then also give yourself a chance by having him encounter better information. And if none of that works, how about you do this? How about the two of you go sit down and talk to somebody who can help liberate him to have the conversation, satisfy your need for the conversation to be had at all. I hope that helps. Let me do one more. I think we got a video. Let's take a look at this one. Hey, Dr. Sean, I'm Reed, and I have a question. Is it disrespectful for people not to invite you to the wedding, but invite you to the reception? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, the, the, usually it's the other way around, right? You, 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 usually people will invite you to the wedding, but not to the reception because they have to pay for the reception, right? The wedding is usually free in a church. You can fit anybody. Um, no, I, I don't think that it is disrespectful. Um, they may want a different crowd at the reception that they were. First of all, it's their wedding. Let's just start there. It's their wedding. And they can do whatever they want to do. They can invite whoever they want and when they want to invite them. Um, I would invite you not to get caught up in your feelings about what they've decided to do. You don't know their logic. You don't know what it is there, you know, why it is they decided to put this crowd here and not that crowd there. How about you just go with it and have a good time? You know what I'm saying? Or if you feel some type of way, then just don't go. Don't, because you don't want to show up at somebody's reception with an attitude about why they didn't invite you to the wedding. Quite frankly... I'm okay if nobody invites me to the wedding. I like the reception better. <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, you can't, don't read into it, okay? Just, just, just go and have a good time, all right? 
celebrate the love because the wedding and the reception last the day. Hopefully the marriage will last till death do them part. Anyway, thank you for watching today. Great show today, people. I'll see you soon. Um, and in the meantime, while I'm gone, y'all be good to each other, okay? Love each other because I love you. Just in case you didn't know. See you next time. Welcome to Quick Trip. How can I help you? Why don't you ask him? It's my turn to bring snacks for our class bake sale. And? I just told Mama about it five minutes ago. No problem. We've got fresh donuts. Oh, thank you. Next thing he's going to tell me, it's our turn to bring the drinks to soccer practice. <laughs> Steven? It's our turn to bring drinks to soccer practice. We've got Gatorade, Powerade, water, you name it. Thank this nice gentleman for saving your life. Any reason's a good reason for Quick Trip. QT. More than a gas station.